0: And Lord, we thank you for our nation. Lord, we pray that you bless America. And we, we declare this as a land that has been greatly blessed, and it will be blessed again. So let's put the PowerPoint up. Now this weekend we celebrated our nation's birthday. And so I think it's an appropriate time to thank you for our country and for all of the ways he's blessed us. Now I know there are a lot of people joining us from the web from different countries. You pray for your country too, God wants to bless your country. But since this is where we are, my message today is America, a nation birthed in revival. Amen. You know the world today is in a mess. Anybody notice that? I mean you just feel things swirling around you in the heavenlies. You know the corona pandemic unleashed a spirit of fear in the world. Many people are paralyzed with fear. We even saw panic in the grocery stores and the result our nation is in trouble. Our economy is in shambles. Factions are tearing the country apart. I can't remember a time when our nation has been more divided than it is now. And since the pandemic, unprecedented waves of violence have swept the country. Major cities have become war zones. And as you see what is happening and you hear the news, a lot of people are saying, is there still any hope for America? And my answer to that is a definite, emphatic, yes. Because I believe there is a call of God on this country. You know, in any nation, the natural tendency is to drift away from God over time. Nations grow spiritually cold. They sink into sin and unbelief. And when that happens, the favor of God departs. And that's what's happened to America. This nation is in need of revival. Revival means to restore to life. Revival is the outpouring of the life of God upon his church that brings a spiritual awakening to a land. And God made us an incredible promise. He said, if my people who are called by my name how many in here fall into that category? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And you know, that has taken place over and over and over again in the history of this country. It's one of the greatest blessings God has given us. When things look the worst, there was always a remnant that would cry out for revival. And when they do that, he comes. Now, most Americans don't realize it, but America was birthed in a wave of revival. Back in the 1700s, one of the most amazing moves of the Holy Spirit in history swept the entire world. It began in a little village in Germany called Hernhut. And on August 13th, 1727, the Holy Spirit fell. There were signs and wonders and miracles and the whole village was transformed. They decided to keep the presence of God there. They went into 24 seven prayer and they prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over a hundred years. And while that was happening, revival spread from Hernhut throughout the world. From Hernhut, revival spread to England. The key leader there was John Wesley. Wesley got saved in a house church led by a missionary from Hernhut. And finding salvation, Wesley traveled back to Hernhut, caught the revival, and brought it back to England, and revival swept England. Now, Wesley ministered in signs and miracles. The revival under Wesley was one of the greatest outbreaks of the miraculous since the fourth century. In Wesley's journal, he describes all sorts of healings and supernatural manifestations. One of the th- things that began happening, Wesley would stand up to preach and people would just start falling down
1: unconscious all over the place while he was speaking. Now let's clap that the heavens open. Woo! <laughs> we needed the rain. We needed the rain. We needed yeah. the rain. Father, thank you. It's a sign. It's a sign. Lord, send the rain again.
0: Now this thing with people falling over under the power of the Spirit was very controversial. And at first Wesley wasn't too sure about it and actually tried to stop it. But then he saw that so many of the people, when they fell down, they got up in love with Jesus and were changed for the better so he said well we better let this go Wesley ministered in divine healing I love in his journal he, there's one story he tells where he was riding his horse to a meeting when the horse went lame Now John had been seeing God heal a lot of people and he thought to himself, well, God can heal a horse as easily as he can a man. So he got down off the horse, put his hands on the horse's legs and prayed for healing. And the horse was instantly healed and Wesley got back on the horse and rode onto the meeting. Now the result of Wesley's revival was England was transformed. Slavery was abolished. Social reforms took place. Historians say the Wesleyan revival probably spared England from the kind of bloody revolution France experienced. So France had a bloody revolution, but England had revival. And then the revival came to America. It spread through the colonies like wildfire. People called it the Great Awakening. A key figure was Jonathan Edwards, the pastor of a local congregational church in Northampton, Massachusetts. Now, Edwards was not a fiery revivalist. He was a quiet, scholarly man who studied 12 or 13 hours a day. He was so nearsighted that he would read his sermons word for word. But when revival came, all of a sudden, everything changed. People started falling down, people getting drunk in the spirit, people having visions. I love the one story about Edwards. Uh, Because he was nearsighted, he would write out his sermons word for word and hold them up in front of his face to read them with a candle in one hand. And so one Sunday he was there reading his message before the congregation and he started hearing strange sounds. And he put the manuscript down and looked and everybody in the congregation was laying out on the floor. The Holy Spirit had fallen. They were all out in the Spirit. On one occasion, Edward's wife got so drunk in the Holy Spirit, she could not get out of bed for a week. But the power of the Spirit moved through the colonies. Church attendance doubled. America was changed. Uh, Benjamin Franklin described what happened when the Great Awakening came. He said, from being thoughtless and indifferent about religion, it seemed like all the world was growing religious. One could not walk through a town in an evening without hearing psalms being sung by different families on every street. And the Great Awakening provided a Christian foundation for America. See, our Constitution was written by people whose lives have been impacted by the great awakening. But see, America was not only birthed in revival, it has been continually blessed by revival. The history of America is this, when things look the worst, when things get hopeless, people turn back to God and God comes. So in the 19th century, people were crying out to God for another revival and another revival came. It began at the very start of the new century in a little country church in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. They called it America's Second Great Awakening. In August of 1801, Daniel Boone invited Presbyterian minister Barton Stone. You know how wild those Presbyterians can get? to lead a three-day celebration of the Lord's Supper at the Cane Ridge Meeting House in Bourbon County, Kentucky. To everyone's surprise, more than 20,000 people showed up. I mean, this was the sparsely settled frontier. And the Holy Spirit fell in power. One person described it this way, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. Some of the people were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy in the most piteous accents while others were shouting loudly. Barton Stone, remember the Presbyterian? Described it this way. The scene was new and passing strange. It baffled description. Many, very many fell down as men slain in battle and continued for hours in an apparently breathless and motionless state. Sometimes for a few moments reviving and exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or a prayer fervently uttered. The power of the Spirit had fallen. No person seemed to wish to go home. Hunger and sleep seemed to affect nobody. Eternal things were the vast concern. While witnessing these scenes, a particularly strange sensation, such as I had never felt before, came over me. My heart beat tumultuously. My knees trembled. My lips quivered. And I felt as though I must fall to the ground. A strange, soup. no, this, this is American history. A strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mass of people there collected. At one time, I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened upon them and immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rent the very heavens. Did they teach you about this in history class in high school? It says, as those as those who were at the meeting returned to their home churches, they took the the revival with them. Similar manifestations occurred in many places. In a North Carolina Presbyterian congregation, for example, they said physical manifestations and speaking in tongues made it like the day of Pentecost and none was careless or indifferent. And the result of the outpouring was immediate the church on the frontier exploded as thousands were converted to the Lord. So many new churches were being planted, there weren't enough pastors to go around, and so what they called circuit riders became popular. Circuit riders were pastors that traveled on horseback from church to church to minister. They would preach every day. They would preach, and then they would travel to the next town and preach there the next day, And it would sometimes take them five or six weeks to complete the circuit. By 1839, there were more than 3,500 circuit riders across the frontier. Linda's great-grandfather was a Methodist circuit rider among the Choctaw people. The moral climate of the frontier was changed dramatically for the better. The final outcome was people started seeking God even more. Because the dramatic events at Cain Ridge showed the church, there was more to experiencing God than religion and ritual. And after seeing a move of the Spirit like that, it was hard to go back to church as usual. And so as the church moved into the final years of the 19th century, Christians were crying out to God. Even evangelical and fundamentalist churches were praying that God would restore the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the church.
1: Now, I want us to do something before Robert continues. I want us to stand up. Because I don't want to miss. We looked on the radar. This open heaven and rain came right through here. Wow. Period. Thank you, Lord. If I shut up the heavens so that no (gasps) rain falls, or if I command locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence and plague among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek, crave after, require as a necessity my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. I want you to shout out that Lord, it will be well with our soul again. It will be well with our soul
0: again. Father,
1: thank you for this sign that came through here. We receive it and we accept it to every place my voice is being heard. We say heavens will open and you are hearing and there will be breakthrough this week. Let's give a Amen. shout. Amen.
0: You know, when Chuck read that about seeking my face, it reminded me of our starting the year off right conference and we saw that. One of the things about this year is it is an important year to seek his face. And it's been interesting, all this last week, there's an old hymn that has just gone over and over, it's just odd times. I'd hear it going through my mind. I hadn't heard it or thought about it for probably years. But what it said was this, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." Full, looked full in his marvelous face, and the things of Earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God is saying, this is the time to seek my face. Turn your eyes upon his face, and all of the things that are swirling around you will suddenly fade into the background. Because when you see his face, you'll know he is strong enough to handle everything that could happen. So after Cain Ridge... The country began to slide back down into sin and further away from God. But Christians were looking back at what happened and they were saying, Lord, do it again. Lord, send your spirit, send the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the way was prepared for the next revival, Azusa Street. The Azusa Street revival was led by a man named William Seymour He wasn't a fiery revivalist, he was a soft-spoken, one-eyed black preacher. And he started a meeting in a home on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. But in 1906 the spirit fell. The meetings became so crowded the front porch of the house collapsed. And so they moved to this old building and named it the Apostolic Faith Gospel Mission. And its location was Azusa Street. The result was what is called the Azusa Street Revival because God's presence came down and rested in that building and those who entered were moved to weep and repent. It said many came as skeptics to laugh at what was going on, but they were so moved by the presence of Holy Spirit, they repented in tears. And this went on for over three years. And in the process of those years, God began to release spiritual gifts, prophecy, words of knowledge, tongues, The events on Azusa Street received national attention when in 1906, Seymour received a prophecy that God was about to judge California for its sin. Within days, the San Francisco earthquake struck, nearly destroying the city. When word of that spread, national newspapers began to cover the meetings on Azusa Street. As word spread, people came from all over the country and then all over the world, and they received the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit with tongues and spiritual gifts, and the Pentecostal movement was birthed. Now, the Pentecostal movement was one of the greatest mission movements since the early church. In the Soviet Union was a man from near Odessa in Ukraine who had emigrated to the U.S., and he went to Azusa Street and caught the Holy Spirit And God told him to go back to the Soviet Union. And so he went there. The Pentecostal movement exploded there. Pentecostal movement churches grew to more than half a million people, despite years of severe persecution. In Chile, the Pentecostal movement grew from 37 members to over 600,000 in 75 years. In Brazil, the first Pentecostal missionaries arrived in 1910. By 1983, the Pentecostal church in Brazil had grown to over seven million members. In communist China, China for years was cut off. The church didn't know what was going on there. When it finally opened, the church was amazed to hear reports of 100 million Pentecostal Christians in China, probably the fastest growing church in the history of Christianity. And then in the 1940s, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit hit the US. Healing evangelism swept the world. In the 1960s, there was the charismatic movement. You know, the mainstream old-blind denominations had rejected the Holy Spirit. They had rejected the Pentecostals, but suddenly there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in those mainstream churches, Episcopals and Lutherans and Catholics. Now, a lot of those denominations didn't like what was happening, but they were afraid to shut it down because the charismatic churches were the only ones that were growing. Then in the late 60s, the Jesus movement revival came. 1967 was a time of great turmoil. It was the Vietnam War. There was a lot of protest marches. There was the hippie movement. And these were people who embraced drugs and free sex and most of the church didn't think people like that could get saved. And yet in that group the Holy Spirit fell in great power. There were hippie evangelists here. One of the most well-known was this guy, Lonnie Frisbee. He had a supernatural anointing for evangelism. I mean, he would be talking to somebody on the street and he would just say, well, Holy Spirit, come on him. And the Holy Spirit would fall on that person. He'd start shaking, fall over on the ground and then get up in love with Jesus. And he didn't just do that individually. I've heard of accounts where 300 people at a time He would say, come Holy Spirit They'd fall over, they'd start shaking and speaking in tongues They would go out evangelizing And win 1,700 people to Jesus In a three month period A whole new culture was birthed Jesus' newspapers, Jesus' coffee houses Jesus' music It was a time of great miracles Baptism with the Holy Spirit was turned into an instant cure for heroin addiction. And all over the world, you saw Jesus freaks. They had mass baptisms in the Pacific Ocean. So some estimate, there were 2 million saved worldwide. That's a revival. You know, that was my first taste of revival because the Jesus movement hit in my fourth year of college at the University of South Florida. Now, South Florida was a radical school with a big drug culture. i have been involved in Campus Crusade on the campus for three years. Campus Crusade had all sorts of wonderful methods for evangelism. We tried them all. Nothing worked. Beginning of my third year, a new staff member came to campus and was trying to get something stirred up. And I said, look, you need to understand, God can't work on this campus. This campus is spiritually apathetic. I didn't think anything could work, but then my fourth year, the Jesus Movement hit the campus. The first sign was in a dormitory floor called Alpha 3 East. Now Alpha 3 East had a reputation as being the worst place on campus. That was where most of the drug dealers and campus radicals lived. It was a bad place. You didn't go to Alpha 3 East unless you had business there. And God told one of the Campus Crusade staff members to go to Alpha 3 East and witness to somebody. So he went to Alpha 3 East, knocked on the first door he came to, and the guy opened. His name was Bud Gillum. He was a big guy. He was on the school wrestling team. He had long, stringy blonde hair. And Bud said, what do you want? And the staff member said, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? Can I read this little booklet to you? He said, yeah, go ahead. And so he just took that Campus Crusade tract and read it to Bud Gillum. But right at the end of the book, it said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And with tears rolling down his face, Bud Gillum said, yes, I would so he prayed to receive Jesus they talked a little bit and he said come with me we need to let all these other people know about this and so over the next three weeks Bud Gillum took that Campus Crusade for Christ staff member from room to room throughout Alpha 3 East almost everybody got saved it was such a dramatic change the RAs of different dorm floors were saying would you come and do on our floor what you did there You know, I went on Alpha 3 East a few weeks later and all up and down the hallway were all the signs and posters telling when the different Bible studies were meeting. Jesus became a major issue on campus that year. People were talking about Jesus in the classrooms. People were getting saved in the classrooms. People were talking about Jesus on the free speech platform. And in that apathetic school where God couldn't do anything the Spirit of God moved and people got saved. Then came the third wave movement in 1980. You know even when the the old line denominational churches opened up to Holy Spirit the evangelicals rejected him but then in 1980 the Spirit fell on evangelical churches. Southern Baptists started to speak in tongues and heal the sick. Some of the main leaders were James John Wimber, who had been a pastor in a Quaker church. James Robison, who was a Southern Baptist evangelist. And of course, Peter Wagner, who was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. And that movement spread around the world. It changed the church. It birthed the prayer movement and the prophetic movement and the apostolic movements. But the Holy Spirit continued to move. <coughs> in the early 90s, there was the Toronto renewal, it started in Canada but swept through the United States. A great move of empowering and refreshing and inner healing, millions affected. Then the Brownsville revival in Pensacola, Florida. 5,000 people crowded in every night, year after year. People literally came running to the altar to get saved. Tens of thousands of people got saved. And see, that's our heritage as a nation. That's the kind of things that can happen when God's people turn back to Him and call out for revival. The story of America is the story of men and women calling out to God, of God breaking into history with massive waves of revival. Let me tell you, God is not finished with us yet. God has not changed. I believe the destiny of America is revival. And God wants that for every nation. Whatever nation you're in, pray for revival. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fall. But see, that's why I have hope for America. You know, that's what our national anthem is all about. A lot of people hear the national anthem sung and they have no idea what it's talking about. Let me tell you the story of our national anthem. During the War of 1812, a man named Francis Scott Key was being held as a prisoner on a prison ship during the British attack on America's crucial defenses at Fort McHenry in Baltimore. And everybody knew if that fort falls, the nation would probably be gone. And the British cannon pounded the fort. But as the sun was setting, Francis could see our flag was still flying. He wondered if the fort could survive the night. Now Francis Scott Key was a committed Christian. And when his friends went down below to sleep, he continued to pace up and down the decks, praying through the night for his country. And all through the night he prayed. And he kept looking for the flag. Because he knew as long as the flag was still flying, the battle was not lost. And from time to time he got a fleeting glimpse of it by the light of the cannon fire. But when morning came, Francis and the other prisoners strained their eyes to see if the flag was still there and by the light of the early dawn they saw the flag was still flying they knew the battle was won the nation was spared and so Francis Scott he wrote down sat down and wrote what is now our national anthem the star-spangled banner and it asked the question that Key was asking when he broke, when dawn when broke that morning. Is that star-spangled banner still there? Now, everybody knows the first verse. And it really is the story of his all-night prayer vigil. Oh, say, can you see by that dawn's early light the flag we so proudly hailed at the twilight last night? whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And then in the morning they said, Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? We all know the first verse. Nobody knows the last verse, because we never sing the last verse. Here's how the Star Spangled Banner ends. This is the last verse of our national anthem. Blessed with victory and peace, may this heaven-rescued land praise the power that has made and preserved us as a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, but this is our motto, in God is our trust. That's our national anthem. It is a praise song. It's born out of an all-night prayer watch for the deliverance of our nation. And that's why America has always been a land of freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And America is a land born in Holy Spirit revival. And where the Holy Spirit is free to move, freedom increases. But where the Spirit is hindered, freedom is lost. And so on this 4th of July weekend, I want to thank God for America. I praise Him for the way He has preserved us. I thank him for all the times he has visited us in revival. And in this year of visitation, I call out to him, Lord, visit us again. On this July 4th weekend, let's pray for God to bless America with revival one more time. Holy Spirit, come on our nation. Holy Spirit, fall in power throughout this nation. Lord, turn us around. Let us see your grace and your goodness pour forth.
1: Let's all stand up. Thank you, John, for singing that at the end. I'm going to ask James, Michelle, Chad, they're up here. We just want to go out praising. We want praise to be filled in our hearts. Things are changing. God announced it today. We're coming off dead center. This next Saturday, don't forget, the place is gonna be open at 8 a.m. We're gonna have the miracle center full. We wanna begin by blessing our widows out of that miracle center. So anything that you buy, anything that you take out of there, uh, it's gonna bless those that have gone before us. You know, that's a real key in revival honor your fathers and mothers that you may live a long life father we say let honor return to america let honor return i'm all for petitioning i'm all for rioting when it's necessary but don't lose honor in what you do don't reject the blood that's been shed before you don't reject the freedom that's been paid for before you father we thank you that you are resounding and father we thank you that you have sent a sign this morning lord this is a sign to us that you can open the heavens over this land again lord we bless you Don't forget also, next Saturday night, 7 a.m., we're going to have an outdoor uh, 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 concert demonstration of dance by the Zion Project out on the uh, Palladium out there. And the garden will be open. Enjoy worshiping differently. Next week will be our last Sunday of corporate worship here in the tabernacle for two weeks because we're starting a a a redo look at somebody and say i'm jumping in on this redo say out loud we need a makeover listen we ain't going into next season looking like last season and in the next two weeks the place will be open during this time you can come in here you can, you can walk through the miracle center and worship we'll have, we'll have services going for you on the well we'll have presentations going for you worship differently let God do a new thing with you let him break you open in a new way guys send us out here with praise worshiping and singing we will sing our way into the next movement shout it